Amen. Well, today uh, on this Mother's Day, we're going to look at perhaps the most famous section uh, of the most famous sermon uh, ever delivered. And if you've been in church for more than a year or two, you've probably heard this. And so, uh, as an introduction to that, I want you to put your uh, school caps on for a minute. I know it's the end of the school year and most of you in this section don't want to do that. But uh, think about animals for a minute. And the animal that you think can see, see the best in the dark. Okay, so you think about it for a second. The animal that can see the best in the dark. Don't shout it out because we don't want anybody to feel bad for not getting it right. If you guessed owl, anybody? Okay, good. She cheated. (laughs) Oh, I didn't tell you earlier in the week? I thought I told her. Uh, Way to go, Haley. Our associate student minister. She's the best. A few of you got it. So owls, owls can see a small rodent from a half a mile away in the dark. Some of you can't see a rodent in your kitchen with the lights on. (laughs) Half a mile away. If you guessed frog, I don't know that you did, but here's a little amazing tidbit that you can share tomorrow uh, at school or work. Uh, frogs can actually see color in the dimmest of lights. So they can still see in color even when it's dark. Uh, So pretty amazing uh, that these two animals uh, have great vision even when the rest of us can't see. But for humans, it's different. The better the light, the better we can see. And that proves true the older you get. The older you get, the more light you need. The reason I've commented so many times about how grateful I am that we put some new stage lighting up uh, during COVID so that I could actually see my notes because I need reading glasses and I refuse to get them. (laughs) But as we think about light and how we see and as we look at this most famous of the famous uh, in Matthew chapter 5, I want us to to consider who we are. If you claim the name of Jesus today, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, there are two metaphors that Jesus uses to describe who we are. And, And those are on display actually throughout the scripture, but but none more specifically than in Matthew chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible, turn there. This is the Sermon on the Mount. It's a, we have three chapters in our Bible of Jesus preaching this. Uh, probably there was a lot more to it than the three chapters we have. But we have the excerpts uh, of that sermon that Jesus preached, that Matthew wrote down and recorded for us. And in Matthew 5, uh, verse 13, uh, verses 13 through 16, Jesus tells us who we are. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket or for us a bushel if you learned that VBS song. But on a stand is where they put it and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. These two images describe who we are. They're, they're metaphors for those people who would follow after Jesus, those who would be disciples of Jesus Christ. How do we function in the world? What is our purpose in this world, in the kingdom of God? That first metaphor, you are salt. Well, we all know what salt is, and sometimes we use salt to flavor food. That's why I grabbed this packet. I, I, the first one, I ripped the pepper off trying to just have it, and I tore a big hole in the salt, and the salt went everywhere. So I just left it. But sometimes we only need a little bit, right, to flavor food. I, I don't use salt on my food. I'm kind of the odd man out in our family and probably in the world. Um, I, I don't salt anything, really, uh, except for chips and french fries. Those are the two greatest things in the world. Uh, but, but salt doesn't need a lot, and it brings out the flavor. It, it brings flavor, and we use salt to bring flavor in food, and sometimes it doesn't take much. And sometimes it doesn't take much for you and me to, to walk into a situation, to connect with a person, just to bring a little flavor to their life. They're struggling. They're hurting. They're depressed. Their life is kind of bland. And God sent you as salt of the earth to step into their world and bring a little life to them, a little flavor to their world, a little seasoning to show them hope and goodness and joy, to show them that they have purpose, to pull them out of the muck that they're in. It often doesn't take much. A simple smile, a hello, a hey, how you doing? sitting next to him, putting your arm around them, encouraging them, seeing a text message randomly. Hey, I'm thinking about you. I hope you're having a great day. Bring a little salt to their world. But we also know that, that salt doesn't just flavor food, but it actually acts up as a preservative. Now, we don't use it so much these days for preservative because we have a thing called freezers and refrigerators that preserve things, that keep them. But back in the day, they would have to use something like this, not in this nice, beautiful bag, but this is a 50-pound bag of salt. And you have to use a lot of salt. And this is another 50-pound bag of salt. And you have to use a lot of salt to preserve quantities of food. Because if not, it decays and rots. It goes bad. And I don't know if you've ever opened a freezer that's gone out. Maybe you had that experience last February in the freeze. Whew. 
Salt preserves that life. It keeps it healthy. It keeps it good. But it takes a lot to keep something from dying, decaying. And there are people in your life that are on the path of destruction and decay, maybe not physically, but spiritually. And they need the salt of the earth to step in in a big way and overwhelm them with God's love and grace and tenderness. To not just dab a little salt on them, but engulf them with the power of God. The power of God that lives in us. But salt also makes you thirsty. I don't know if you're a beach person or you're a mountain person, but probably everybody here, just because we live close to the beach, has been in the Gulf of Mexico. And if you go under the water, even with your mouth closed, you come out of the steel, you got that saltiness on your lips. And if you happen to drink a little bit of that wonderful Gulf of Mexico water, Mm, you, you need to switch that out with something else. <laughs> but that's not just true of the Gulf of Mexico. That's true of the Pacific Ocean. That's true of the Atlantic Ocean. It's true of every body of salt water. That salt makes you thirsty. Salt water makes you thirsty. And you have to quench that thirst, not with more salt water. No, that'll kill you. No, you have to quench it with fresh water. And for you and me, as we walk in this world, as we are in school and class, as we're in the workplace, as we're around in the neighborhood, as you're out there on social media, God is telling us that we are the salt of the earth. We're to show people their thirst. Whoops. We're to show them that they need living water that they need a refreshment that they can't quench on their own. That they need a savior who calls himself living water. We're to point them to him because he's the only one that can quench their thirst. You are the salt of the earth. We are the ones to point people to their need for salvation. Whether that's to bring a little flavor to their life because they're in a troubled spot. Whether they're on a path of destruction and we need to overwhelm them with the power and the might of God. Or whether it's to show them that they are thirsty each of those has one answer and one answer only. Jesus as Savior. He is the one who brings salvation. He is the one who quenches thirst. He is the one that takes you from death to life. He is the one that helps us become salt of the earth. And then he says, you are the light of the world. 
I, I don't know uh, if you've looked outside of, in your yard lately, but I, I was walking the other day and I looked up into our trees and I noticed, and I've noticed over the last few months that we have some of these little tiny branches in our oak trees that are, instead of kind of, you know, a nice, beautiful, angled growth, we've got a couple of these tiny branches that are just going straight up off another branch. Because our trees are so thick, these one little tiny branches, they're doing everything they can to find the sunlight. Because light causes things to grow. And some of you may have even done an experiment in school where you use light and you bent a, a plant or a flower toward the light because the light makes things grow. And we are drawn to that light. It causes growth and life. That's what light does. Light stands out. Light shows us the way. It shows us the path. What, what, a, what an amazing invention, a light on your phone. Like, let's praise God just for that. Amazing. It shows us the way. Light eliminates darkness. Because if Jesus says to us, those that follow Christ, you are the light of the world, then you know what the implication is? The implication is that the world is in darkness. That if you and I are the light of the world, then those around us who don't know Christ, they're in darkness. You are the light of the world. You, his disciple, you, the one who follows Jesus, you, the one who's placed your faith in him as Lord and Savior, you are the light of the world. The struggle for most of us is that we believe that part, that we are the light of the world. Now, whether we shine our light brightly or whether we live as salt in the world is a whole different conversation. But most of us, if we're pressed, we're not quite convinced that the whole world is in darkness, particularly in our area. We live in the South. We live in Texas. We live in suburban Houston. We live in a community that on City Hall says this community where we sit right now was founded on family, faith, and education. This city. And so perhaps it's hard for us to imagine those around us really in darkness because we live in a community, whether you live in Friendswood or not, this whole area is in a community that has a great deal of God consciousness. We, we, we believe that there is a God. And so the tendency for us as salt and light in the world is to think, well, it, it's not so dark around here. Maybe they're not in complete darkness. Maybe they're just in indirect light. Like this. And they can still see a little bit. 
thanks to stained glass and exterior glass doors. And so we as salt and light of the earth, we don't do much. We don't say much. Because the people around us can kind of see. They, they know generally where to go. But I wonder, what if one of us, just one of us, would say, you know what, I'm going to let my light shine. Or two of us would say, you know what, I'm going to let the world see my good works. What if three of us decided to shine brightly for our Savior? That one jumped the gun earlier. Some of you saw it. Or four of us. Or maybe even five would say, I'm not going to hide my light. I'm going to shine brightly. The great news about that is that now you all can see me slightly better. I still can't see my notes. But this would light the way for a few, like the lamp in a home would light the way for a few. Maybe your friend, maybe your classmate, maybe that person in the cubicle next to you. Maybe that same grocery store clerk you see over and over and over again every time you're at the store. It might light the way for them. But what if, what if we, as the people, just didn't say, you know what, I'm going to kind of shine my little light, let it shine, let it shine. No, I'm going to do what the scripture says in verse 14. We're going to join together as disciples, as a group of people who believe and love Jesus and have care and concern and compassion for a world that is living in darkness. We're going to let all of our light shine together. We're going to be like a city on a hill. What would happen then? And what would happen to our communities? It would be radically different. Because we would see the glory of God shine through each one of us. Because a city on a hill can't be hidden. Like, just physically, that cannot happen. If you have a city on a hill at night and the lights are shining, no one's hiding that. Not even David Copperfield. If you're like in your 30s and up, you might get that. <laughs> but a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so can we join together and be that city on a hill to let our light shine before others so that what may happen? Not so they look at us and say, man, you're so awesome. Like, man, I really appreciate your character. And so when they cuss out on the softball field, they apologize to you. Well, no. No, it's not about you and me. It's not about how upright you are. No, we let our light shine so that others may do what? Glorify our Father in heaven. The goal of all of this is not so that they would look to us. No, they would look to the true light of the world. Because Jesus declares himself in the book of John twice, I'm the light of the world. 
And here, he's calling us the light of the world, those who follow after him. We get to be the light of the world, pointing others to the true light, the one who brings life abundant, eternal, the one who takes people from darkness and despair and brings them to light and life. And so it would happen if we were that city on a hill in one accord, shining brightly so that others would see our good works, not so that we can impress God or impress anybody else or we can earn our salvation or make God love us more. That is wrong thinking. No, God loves you unconditionally right now, today, and so out of my love for him, I want to shine brightly and I want to point others to him so that he will receive the glory. Ironically, this is the only passage in our 55-week or maybe eight or nine-week series here that doesn't mention kingdom of heaven in the passage. doesn't say it in here. But you and I, as citizens of the kingdom, this is how we should live. And so my important question for you, and I've asked it a number of times in different ways over the last several years, who do you know that needs to be rescued from the darkness? Who is God calling you today to be salt and light to? If we're not thinking about who we're to be salt and light to, Jesus is reminding you that should be what you're thinking about. Who are you being salt and light to? Who in your world needs to be rescued from the darkness? Have you simply sort of ignored them because eh, they're an indirect light? They kind of see God. Are you shining brightly for the, for the, before them? Not with a Q-beam or a laser pointer right in their eye blinding them. No, but like a lamp on a stand bringing goodness to them, helpful, inviting, beneficial. That's what we're called to be. Helpful, inviting, beneficial. Do we allow a person who's in the dark, who's lost, who's far from God, do we allow them to find their way to the light of Christ? And do we sit with them as we shine brightly before them Allowing them to ask questions, to discover, to struggle. All the while, adding a little flavor where we need to. Maybe at times dumping the truth on them. How are we living out salt of the earth and light of the world? Are we shining brightly for others. I know Motel 6 says it, but we need to leave our lights on all the time. And as we close the day, I want to give you one last thought, kind of in the form of a question. I've read this passage countless times. I'm sure many of you in this room could quote it as well. But that phrase, a city on a hill, cannot be hidden. It it struck me very differently this time for whatever reason. 
And, and I thought about that whole idea of, of how we as the people of God shine brightly together. In our culture today, in our environment today, we isolate easily and we do our own thing. That's the way I would describe it. We do our own thing. We don't purposely isolate, but we get caught up doing our own thing. And so our lives are are pretty distant from others if we don't work at it. And, and God is calling us to be a city on a hill, to, to join together collectively the hundreds and hundreds of light that are part of our church, that are part of the other churches in our community, to shine brightly. And so my question for us, my final thought here is, how are you spending your time in community with others? If you and I want to shine brightly together like a city on a hill, we have to do that together in community. And it's wonderful that you're here in this room watching online. It's wonderful that you're doing that. And that's a part of our spiritual formation. But where you and I will shine the brightest together is if we're in a group with someone else. We're, we're with some other people walking this thing we call the Christian life together. Whether that's in a Sunday school class, a Bible study you're a part of in the middle of the week, but, but you're together with others, pulling your light together brightly so that it cannot be hidden. It reminds me of Acts chapter 2 when the early church met house to house day after day. And their, their work life and free time was very different than ours. But they met every day together to pray together, to encourage each other. And God added to their number because their light was shining brightly and they were inviting others to the table. And so let us be a people who join together in community to encourage one another, to spur one another on, to set each other up for success and, and flavor, bring flavor to each other's lives, but then to shine brightly so others will notice and give glory to our Heavenly Father. I want all of us to shine brighter. And we do that together. And so may we shine brightly together. And on this Mother's Day, may you know that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Will you pray with me?